And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight is a special event. We are re-airing an interview that we did with legendary actor and comedian Richard Belzer. Cannot speak enough kind words about this individual. First off, he is a rebel and he challenges everything. He's also a very successful uh, TV personality. You've probably seen him in Law & Order where he played Detective Munch. He's also an impassionate animal rights activist. I met him back in 2008 when I was doing PR for the New York City Underground Comedy Festival. And we got a chance to talk and... We would talk for long periods of time. We would just have all these different philosophical discussions, and he was a really cool guy. And I couldn't believe how nice he was. And it was pretty surreal, too, because I grew up watching him on TV, and I always admired his work as a comedian. And here we are having conversations, long conversations, about uh, whether or not UFOs exist and what the future of humanity was going to be like. So I, I couldn't tell you, he couldn't be a nicer person. And I'm so thankful that we kept in touch for all these years. After the interview with Richard tonight, you're also going to be hearing a forensic soul analysis on him. So we have psychic medium, Carrie O'Connor, psychic empath, Lisa Kaza, and astrologer, Constance Ellis. As you come to know and love as the Outer Limits of Initiative Radio Show Virtues, they're each going to do an analysis on him. I think you're going to be pretty surprised at what you learn. Let us begin tonight's show. Mr. Belzer, it's a great honor to have you on our program today. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Richard, you wrote a great new book called Corporate Conspiracies, How Wall Street Took Over Washington. Basically talking right. about how big business is screwing the people. Of all the things that you covered, what would you say would be the most daunting and most shocking allegation or facts that shows how the corporations are basically destroying the public? Well, um, there's a lot. But uh, if, I, if I had to pick one example, it would be General Motors uh, having full knowledge of one of their vehicles having a problem with its uh, starters and, and people got killed. Uh, and General Motors deemed, well, let, it's cheaper to pay off the families than to retrofit the cars. So there you have it money over human over human life and you know that's that's not such an unusual example there are other more subtle ways of endangering the public for corporate expediency uh you know it's 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 sad but people are waking up and there's a lot of activists now and uh the people can fight back we have to because there's no more leadership in this country. It's, uh, it's up to us now. So how have you seen this trajectory evolve in the last 30 years? And you've also written other books that have challenged the, the powers that be. So 
How have you seen this trajectory evolve, and what made you so passionate about this that you wanted to take action? Um, well, the other books I've written about uh, murders of famous people and cover-ups of crimes, and uh, you know JFK, and I did a book about Marilyn and Bobby Kennedy and Dr. King, and I did another book about called Hit List, which is people in and around the Kennedy assassination who died mysteriously. Um, and other books about UFOs, JFK. Um, but this, I think, um, I have to agree with some of the interviewers that this is my most important book because it's not. there's no speculation in it. There's no theorizing in it. And the bibliography is very formidable. And uh, we have kind of proven what most people in America who are even semi-enlightened have felt for a long, long time that big business owns every politician and really is more powerful than our representatives. And as that dawns on people, they need reality and truth. And I feel that at the risk of being immodest, that there's a lot of good, you know, there's facts in my book that people can use to further study this stuff and bring certain people to account legally. So um, uh, I think it's an important book. And, you know, my partner, David Wayne, is just an astounding researcher and dedicated, as I am, or even more so. Um, You know, there are some good guys, and we're trying. It's not easy. You know, it's funny. uh, My last book... uh, made the New York Times bestseller list, but they wouldn't review the book, the New York uh, Times. Despite the fact that, you know, you're basically a living legend and, you know, you've written all these books. And well, I mean, you know, I'm not unknown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's put it that way. You know, uh, there's a gentleman named Chris Hedges, and he talks about... Oh, I love Chris Hedges. Me too. I love him. I think he's, a, I think he's an asset. Him and Noam Chomsky. He's but, important. Yeah. He talks about inverted totalitarianism, and he... What did he say? He, he talk, Chris Hedges describes the situation in our country as inverted totalitarianism. We basically, he says that everything is, is run by the corporate state. And he wrote a recent article about America kind of being in a death spiral or a dance with death where people are actually becoming passionate about their own self-destructiveness. And I was wondering if... Passionate about their own self-destructiveness. Yes, passionate. Like people what are actually kind mean? of running towards, running towards, like the country is basically on its last legs. The empire is about to collapse because we, I guess there's no more like sense of morality. You said there's no more leadership in the country. Um, well, that we have to take it upon yeah. ourselves. But do you actually see uh, when when institutions like this are get so corrupt and they collapse, you actually see it potentially as a good thing because you know you can only go down so far, and there's only good. You can only go farther up. I mean, do you see like a collapse of these institutions as, fun, as a potential changing for the better? Uh, it can only be for the better. I think uh, one of the, if there's anything good out of this last election, is that millions of people hit the streets. And and, uh, I'm old enough to remember the 60s. And uh, I thought that, you know, we fought these battles then. You know, the Vietnam War, civil rights, uh, women's rights, and towards the end of the decade, uh, gay rights. 
And, you know, that's 45, 50 years ago. And here we are again with the president legitimizing the most vile elements, you know, in society. So it's depressing beyond verbs and adjectives, <laughs> but it makes people say either they feel helpless or they're a citizen and they go out and they do something. And I think extraordinary amounts of people have been energized. And that's a, that's that's a good thing because that's, you know, that's what America is supposed to be about is the an informed citizenry is, you know, as Jefferson said, you know, a, a society, I'm paraphrasing, but a society cannot exist without an informed citizenry. And so citizens are now, because of social media, are, are informed. A lot of it is you have to wade through the shit, but, you know, the truth is out there. I mean, 1984 goes both ways. It's well, it's, it's pretty crazy how many things that Orwell predicted are actually have actually come through to reality. I mean, it's, a, it's a book about fiction, and I love when people say, well, look, you know, it was a book. It wasn't a blueprint. It wasn't supposed to be a blueprint. Uh, Richard, of all your years of doing stand-up comedy, did you ever feel at one point in time that you were becoming a teacher, that you were actually incorporating some lessons and planting some seeds in the minds of your audiences about what was going on and kind of challenging them to think? about? Yeah, Um Yes, and uh, if I wasn't a comedian or an actor, I'd be a journalist or, you know, journalist slash historian, probably a journalist. But um, one of my favorite reviews was I did a gig in Philadelphia, and the critic said, Richard Bells is the only comedian I've ever seen where the audience leaves wondering if he liked them. (laughs) Yeah, because there are times where I would say things that weren't jokes, but that were woven into my act that were, you know, uh, truth bombs and meant, I don't want to be pretentious, but I, you know, I think you can teach, some people can teach, like Richard Pryor and Lenny Bruce and a handful, George Carlin. And they're important people, because when you when you see the absurdity and the humor and the, the frailty and the magnificence of humanity, there's a, there's a lot there. When you, when you were on stage, what would you think was, was the most controversial lesson that you were trying to convey on stage? And were you nervous before you said it? Were you nervous knowing that? Never could, nervous, okay. but I was I was attacked and censored when Reagan first became president because I immediately started to uh, eviscerate him when he was so beloved. And I did a routine about Reaganomics uh, where uh, part of it was, you know, you want, uh, if you're hungry, eat tree bark. You know, if you want sex, you know, just have oral sex. It just, you know, what, uh, what, what was broken down about Reaganomics was, you know, fuck the poor and so I was doing that bit in the early part of his presidency, and I kept doing it. It would get laughs, so some laughs, some heckles, you know. And as time went on, it got bigger and bigger laughs. And then, you know, like uh, three, four years into his presidency, I was killing with stuff I, that 
I was booed for three years earlier. Wow. So, did you ever have any um, kind of a relationship with Bill Hicks or other people? Like you said, George, you mentioned George Carlin before, but did you think that Bill Hicks was somebody who was just out there that trying to wake people up? I mean, were there other comedians that you resonated with that were really kind of trying to get people to become aware well, of the Bill? Bill, Bill um, cared, cared about the truth and cared about people's perception of the truth and was very, very passionate. He wasn't, I mean, there's a lot of guys that write jokes and they, you know, start with the same word every night and end with the same word. And that's fine. And, you know, they have their audience and they kill. And But there's a handful of comedians who just feel also an obligation because they have a platform to, you know, spill their guts. And somebody like Bill, fortunately, he's funny and eloquent and passionate. So we want him, you know, he is missed because there aren't many people, you know, like Bill. Or George, or even you. Go ahead. The way you're presenting it, but Richard, coming back earlier in your life, I mean, it's it's, and Dick Gregory, of course, the best of them all. But go ahead. um, Greatest. Talk about a teacher, Dick Gregory. What was he? Why was he the best from your perspective? Because he came along at a time when race relations were very testy. He wrote a book called Nigger. (laughs) <laughs> and he performed, and, you know, one of his his opening line used to be, you know, if you don't laugh at me, I'll follow you home. <laughs> and um, he would talk about and race and uh, in a way that American audiences or any audience had ever heard before. And uh, to this day, I mean, he's, <clears throat> Dick is a 90-something now, and he's still performing. And uh, his er, his middle years are just astounding. I mean, you know, he he's uh, revered by by everyone, by Lenny, by George, by you know, by all of us. Uh, and just to get an idea of how you developed your persona, how you developed your perception in life, my understanding is that when you were younger, you lost both parents at a relatively younger age. And I was wondering how the loss of both your parents actually shaped your reality and uh, uh, kind of. Accelerate yeah. your perception. Um, it's hard to verbalize something like that because I know comedians who came out of normal families relatively, and I know comedians who, you know, the cliche that comedians suffer and behind the mask of comedy is, uh, you know, that's that held true when a lot of people came over from Europe and we're doing, you know, vaudeville, and uh, they were, a lot of them were immigrants, and so the humor now, you know, people grow up and they go to college and they, oh, I want to be a comedian, you know, so it's a little different. So, but what shaped me, even when, you know, when I was a little kid, I got, I was thrown out of every school, I was always questioning authority, and always being the class clown, and uh, you know, always asking why, and so I, I think uh, if my par- uh, parents survived or not, I'd be on this trajectory. And uh, so, you know, it may—I'm certainly informs who I am, but I don't think it 
I don't think that tragedy equals um, creativity. Just because you suffer doesn't mean that you can extrapolate the experience so that other people can laugh at it or cry or learn from it. So, you know, a lot of people have tragedy, but very few people, you know, like Richard Pryor uh, and others can take something that one person can't even imagine having any humor in it. And, you know, like when Richard had a heart attack or when he, you know, almost was burned to death, he he found humor in in tragedy. And that's, you know, it's a very high art. There's very few people. Talk about you themselves know, they, being set on fire when they're smoking crack. I thought that was amazing that he could talk about that. Yeah, but yeah, that was 1980. You, you said that you were kicked out of every school. So when you were born, did you feel that we we're going to describe it? That, there's a term for it. Uh, I guess you call it a, a fringe dweller. Like you felt that you were here, but you didn't nest like a kind of an alien on this place. Did you feel completely out of place here? That for some reason, you just couldn't relate to people or understand why everyone thought a certain way? Uh, almost, but uh, I, I know as a child, um, I, I always liked being around older kids and adults. And um, I understood more than the adults around me thought because I would I hear overhear my mother and my aunts talking about someone disparagingly and then someone would turn and look at me and like they keep talking it's like it's okay if he hears it but I did hear it and uh, so I I was always intrigued uh, by the duplicitousness of most people you know their public face and their private face Um, also I was a newspaper reporter in the 60s and so I had a chance to write about poverty and the war, and um, and that led to me, you know, taking the fork on the road to performing or staying in journalism. And what would you say would be, were there any particular teachers that you had that really kind of galvanized? Were there any particular teachers that really, uh-huh. that helped you kind of you know raise your game and to help you kind of explore different facets about yourself you didn't know before. Were there any books that you read that really inspired you to kind of accelerate your development and growth? Um, believe it or not, Lenny Bruce's autobiography, which came out in 1967 or something, I forget. Uh, that affected me deeply. Uh, of course, 1984, uh, Ian Esco's plays, Pinter's plays, uh, the, the, the kind of the Heinlein line of Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, yeah, I always did feel kind of not apart from it all, but not above it all, but, uh, kind of an observer. Okay. That makes any sense. And when you've played various roles in your career, have there ever been a role that you were playing whose, I guess, character was was such a contradiction from who you were on the inside that you maybe didn't play that character up to their full potential, knowing that you didn't want to have people catch on to a character whose persona was the antithesis of who you were on the inside? 
Yeah, uh, I have. Uh, fortunately, I played the same character for twenty years on two different <laughs> shows. So I, um, my image, I think, is of the good guy, cynic, uh, you know, hippie who became a cop. Uh, you know, Lenny Bruce with a badge. Uh, very lucky for me to have this character. It's very close to how I would be in reality. So I had the luxury of being typecast and asked to play detective in other things other than Munch. You know, like there's been a few other shows where where it says detective and they would call me. Uh, but Munch did like ten different shows. It's my incredible. Character. That may be I yeah. mean, one of the longest characters that's ever been perpetually uh, played out. And are there, yeah, are there any actors that you work with that you felt had a, the greatest impact on um, on who you are and really helped hone your talent? And are there any actors that really taught you some incredible lessons, uh, not only about life but about your your craft? Um, working with Ned Beatty. On Homicide, we were partnered up, and, um, of course, he's a great actor, and I was not intimidated, but, you know, close to it. And the first day that we were working on this big scene, he was so naturalistic and so relaxed, and that reassured me because of my style of acting is try to react and be natural and um, try not to act, if that makes any sense. I mean, you know, he, he was just so, and he was very helpful and supportive of me, and so I think that was a key moment because that was, you know, Homicide was, you know, Barry Levinson, uh, a network show and with all these wonderful actors, and so uh, he was uh, very helpful just by being who he is, not teaching me how to read lines or anything, but by example. And I want to come back to some things that you're talking about your book that you've actually, you know, you're really trying to make people aware of what's happening in the world. And I was wondering, you said that you see more people waking up, but do you also see that because people are taking to social media and they're on Twitter all the time and they're condensing all their language into 160 words that in some way the language is devolving to some capacity and that people, for I the think, most part, are not really are able to express themselves in ways they have been before? I think that's a legitimate observation in that uh, when you have so many people, millions and millions upon millions of people using social media, there's going to be millions of people that are... Um, deadened in a way by it in terms of language skills or writing. Hold on one second. <laughs> and yet there are others whose vastly improved knowledge uh, over the Internet. I mean, I know that from personal experience. You know, the, the Internet is a library of Alexandria. You could, you know, read about anything you want. And it's the first time in history. So certainly people who are ill-equipped to handle all this information are not going to get it, even though they may have access to it. But there are those that know what to do with knowledge. Is there any 
things that you would recommend a person can do to accelerate oh. their awakening? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I think the hardest thing in the world to do is to look at yourself and to listen to your inner voice and ask the question, you know, who's who's making me breathe? Why Why am I taking a breath? You know what I mean? It's like there's so much to be known and so much that is beyond our grasp that people have to settle on, you know, a particular thing that they love or that interests them and just go to town on it. There's no excuse for not knowing, you know, more about what you are interested in at this point in history. When I was younger, I went to the library. Now I just flip open my laptop. It's, a, it's you know, it's a new world. Responsibility is on the individual, I, I think, because there's no leadership, you know, morally or ethically at the top. You know, when John Kennedy was president, everybody, not everybody, but people wanted to be in government service, and they want, you know, they admired education, and and now it's like where certain people are glorifying thuggery instead of, you know, knowledge. You know, people, we're not smarter under Obama, and I don't say we're getting dumber, but we're stalled now with this okay. tin pot. Time. <laughs> I call it maybe an interesting period of time, but what do people go, what do you think people should go for morality, um, you know, to find uh, the, the, the moral high ground? I mean, where should they go to, to seek morality? And I guess it'll open up another question is, where would you describe yourself um, in, your, in your path of evolution? Are you a spiritual person? Are you somebody who meditates? Do you believe in uh, a God? Do you um, believe that you're part of a, the eternal being that's called God? Or what's your perspective on spirituality? Uh, I do. I do meditate, and I do uh, for my entire adult life have grappled with the idea of, you know, why are we here and what's going on and the Big Bang and what started everything. I mean, these are questions that certainly anybody, uh, virtually anyone, is thought about at one point or another, but I think there are uh, many things that are beyond our grasp in terms of human uh, knowledge, uh, not to get too lofty, but um, when you talk about the concept of a, a created design or a deity, um, the conversation goes off the rails because it's so personal and everyone has their own perception of the greater good or you know is there a consciousness beyond ours or is there a collective uh, consciousness uh, you know these are all legitimate questions that are I think are ultimately kind of unanswerable um, but I don't despair because there's enough the, uh, I believe in the old adage that the more you know, the less you know. I mean, I keep, I just, my wife and I have been studying World War One and World War Two over the last few days, and there's some great documentaries that, and, you know, I learned a lot, and, you know, I'm an old man, so there's so much out there to learn, and 
explore and it helps define who you are as an individual, what you're interested in, what you want to become, whether you believe in a God or not. I think everyone agrees in the basic precept of treating everyone fairly and doing to others, that that adage. I think most people are charitable and compassionate um, at, at heart. I, I think that humanity, basically people are good. Otherwise, why, why does the lie detector show stress when we lie? Doesn't that prove something? Yeah, it probably reveal something about them. And Have you, you ever thought about that? Well, I mean, Doesn't that mean that lying is bad? If we have stress when we lie, I think it, it could I mean, be. That, I, I think that I, means we're inherently good. I think yeah. I think, well, it's part of human nature. But there's an individual we, we've um, we featured on a program before that that says that human beings are are, are simply animals. They're, they're they're animals, and part of our nature that we're always trying to fight against is it's part of our nature. It's like you know, humans have tendencies. They they tend to be jealous. They tend to, to kill each other. They tend to do all these different things. But fundamentally, I guess we can be good. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the message of every great teacher is the same, you know, about being charitable and compassionate. And unfortunately, there are forces at work that, you know, that try to deconstruct that because it doesn't meet their interests. And that's what partially what my book is about, the corporate conspiracies of how corporations have are, have lost any semblance of compassion to the bottom line. And people know that are catching on. They think that we'll see in the future boycotts and companies that are more compassionate. And I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, the next few years are going to be very bad. Let's why do you think real. they're going to be very bad? How could they be good? No, so, well, why do you think they're going to – well, do you think that it's going to be bad? So obvious. Is it because, because of the president? Donald Trump is the president of the United States. But he may That's be, the most, I mean, you know. Yeah, he's the president, but at the same time, it's like he could be, you could have anyone in that office, but it, everyone has a choice, conscious choice, to, to make a decision to, to be a better person or evolve. And, I mean, no, but can, he's the moral moral leader of the country. He uh, is the commander in chief of the armed forces. This is, you know, a terrible, terrible time. For America, it's embarrassing. We're losing prestige around the world. We're betraying all our principles. This fucking clown is, you know, clearly a racist. There's no more doubt about it. It's just sad. And, uh, and then, you know, if we get rid of him, then we have this other pray away the gay fucking guy. And if we get rid of him, we have Ryan. So. <laughs> We're in deep shit hey, well, until it, it, 20, that, That's Paul Ryan, not, not, not Ryan of the Outer Limits. That, that's a different Ryan. So. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, it could be pretty could be pretty bad. But um, for the last question, Mr. Belzer, you, uh, one thing I uh, admire about you, I mean, in addition to all the great work you've done, great books you've written, you're also a passionate animal rights activist. And I remember um, Wendy Diamond, yeah. the founder of Animal Fair Magazine, she was, she was raving about you. She was like, oh, Richard, you're so, so great, and you rescue all these animals. Can you please uh, – Tell us a little bit about uh, you know why you're so passionate about animal rights and you know, why you're really passionate with your about your dog and um, well how anyone who anyone who owns a dog or a cat 
knows how important they are to the development of humanity. I mean, dogs don't lie about love. They make us more human. You know, for thousands of years they've been bred to be our companion. So to betray that, you know, to use animals to test chemicals or, you know, to dog fighting and all these other grotesqueries are sacrilegious because these are innocent animals that all they want to do is please us. I mean, they've been bred. That's why dogs, you know, they're always looking in the human's eyes. They want to know, what do we want? How can I be better? In fact, over thousands of years, dogs' DNA has changed uh, uh, to be more like a human. And uh, humans, when they're with dogs, have a chemical response uh, that's uh, akin to when mothers breastfeed. So we are, you know, they are our moral superiors in a way, and, and yet we have to protect them. And, and, you know, I have five dogs, and they have taught me more. They have taught us more about, you know, each one has a different personality and different needs, and, you know, um, they're, you know, they are better than people because they're so trusting and so I loving. I agree with you more. I would save a dog before I save a person in the river. <laughs> of course. <Yep. laughs> Mr. Richard Belzer, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. We can learn more about Mr. Belzer by going to his website at ibells.com. Again, the book is Corporate Conspiracies, How Wall Street Took Over Washington. You can buy it on Amazon. It's got rave reviews. Uh, Mr. Bowser, it's a real pleasure and great honor to have you with us today. I'm so thank you. I had a great time. You made it very easy. Have you a good too. night. Okay, my friend. Joining us now is the queen of the universe, internationally respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. We can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Mr. Richard Bowser? Mr. Richard Belcher is a wonderful soul. I love that he uses his position in, as a clout in Hollywood to he's not afraid to talk about conspiracy theories. He's not afraid to talk about uh, um, J.F. Kennedy. He's not afraid to talk about um, 9-11, the air, airplane um, accidents. I love that he is not – he uses his voice to put a light into um, – the conspiracy theories and everything that has to do with that. So he is the, um, you could say, the advocate for the, that that is in the shadow and that because he has the clout and the experience that he has and that people listen to him and they like him and he also has that dry sense of humor. So he knows how to weave in the humor, which is really perfect because that really, a lot of times, it opens up people's energetic ears, Ryan, so they're more willing to listen to him instead of if somebody else said it that didn't, have his, um, uh, you know, his fame and fortune, they would have just blown him off and called him a nuthead. He stands behind himself. He says, states the facts. He illuminates, and so he plants seeds in a person's head. How fast those seeds go down in their energy field is totally up to them, but he definitely spoon-feeds them so they could start looking at life beyond the matrix. So he's a matrix breaker. He breaks through the matrix and is allowing people to go beyond mind, motion, ego, and our, especially our training on how to view life. Where so many people blindly trust the government. They 
I was just having a discussion with um, that Destiny girl that we were talking about, and she said um, she thinks there's something more than 9-11, and she was even talking to her peers, and she's in her young 20s, and she um, sometimes they, they really kind of energetically or literally think, you're not, you're, you know, of course the government will never be behind that. Why would they do that, blah, blah, blah. And um, and she absolutely, as I do, feel that there's something more. So he is um, the voice of Hollywood that then lead people into starting to question things that they have blindly felt, you know, followed before. I love that. And do you sense or get a feeling that anything that is past lies, or is that even relevant in this particular lifetime? This, he's had many, many lifetimes as advocate gone against um, governments. I also saw, right before you called, I was tapping to his energy, and I saw him going into um, uh, the Knights of Templar where he went in and was all about reaching the sword out, pulling the sword out of the stone, right? And a lot of that's very symbolic, finding their own inner truth and all that. And he spent many lifetimes doing an inner journey, right, and having lifetimes of, of extreme wealth, but also poverty, right? So he's done both things in this lifetime in particular. I call him the bridger. He's a bridger to be able to individually and collectively help himself and others break through the matrix, step back, look at life without the vision. When we're born, we have these vision finders on us that keep us in duality, and he allows people to step back and really start – he feeds them. He gives them – imagine a silver platter that has a lot of healthy food on it. And the way he delivers it, people, again, ingest this, digest it, mull it around, and, again, what they want to do with it. Some of them spit it out immediately. Some that let it mull around the mouth for, like, wine when you're wine tasting. Other people, they allow the information to go down and then make changes. So – um, he's done that in many, many after, um, lifetimes. In a nutshell, I call him the advocate bridger, especially the advocate for the underdog, and he's done it in many, many incarnations. And is there any particular person whose energy resonance do you think Richard Bell's a resonant, um, is closely connected with, based on something that we've worked with, either had on our show or someone else you see in the world today, maybe a person that he may even be where he's connected to? I would say when you were just formulating this question, I saw Stuart Weil stand behind him, and it's not not it's he's in the Stuart Weil you could say soul group because Stuart Weil was the same exact thing that I said. He was in for the underdogs. He helped people see beyond mind and emotion. So he's part of that that soul group. You know what I mean? Um, and also, just before you said that, I saw him with the tilted crown. Where I know he had this lifetime where he was a crown, but was in royalty. And his shoulders are bent over with, I don't want this responsibility. This is a bunch of bullshit. Um, what a farce, when, especially when he's trained since he was little. And then when he got the real rules behind the golden door, it didn't resonate with him at all. And that lifetime stuck with him as, I don't, I have to fill this role that I'm not comfortable with. I'm never, ever going to do this again. As soon as his father died, he changed a lot of rules, but he got a lot of resistance. And I also see him walking away like that prince and, um, uh, the one that ended up marrying and he ended up getting a divorce and so he lost his rights to the, the kingdom because he got a divorce. He fell in love with that Wallace lady or something like that. Something similar happened to him, but it wasn't about love. It was about him not following the rules that were set out for him in that lifetime with like what I call energetic hangover in this lifetime. So he came in here, tower high water. He was going to be 
an advocate some way. And then look what he does. He does humor. He does acting. He does writing. So it's all different venues where he could um, connect to certain people. So um, I love the guy. I've always loved him on the show, um, especially the, the victim one, the Law and Order one, and actually the, the other one. So he's not afraid. It's very scorpionic, afraid to go in the dark and the murky energy. But his thing is to be able to bring light into the dark and murky energy. I love it. Miss Terry O'Connor, the queen of the universe and internationally respected psychic medium. I want to thank you so much for being with us today and for providing all your great insight. As always, to learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and to get your own psychic reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you, Brian. Always a pleasure. Joining us now is the Astro Freedom astrologer, Miss Constance Tellis. You can learn more about Miss Constance Tellis and get your own astrological chart done with Miss Constance Tellis by going to your website at constancetellis.com. Miss Tellis, what do you see in the chart of Mr. Richard Belzer? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we do not have a, a proper birth time, but that doesn't totally um, discount his astrology chart. He is a major Leo with a stellium, that's three planets in one sign of Leo. And his moon sign is Aquarius, and that is the opposite sign to Leo. So it's an interesting combination because the sun is fire, Leo, and is ruled by Leo. So we see the drama, we see the desire to put himself forward in a dramatic way, and then we see a very kind of forward-looking, maybe even eccentric, no, definitely eccentric, um, Aquarius moon that is trying to balance the personal needs of the performer, uh, Leo. So that kind of seesaw between Leo and Aquarius has been the thrust of his life. Now, I know he has a new book out, and I think that astrologically we would say that that connects with Excuse me, the um, Pluto and the Sun conjunction. In other words, they're both in Leo and they're very close together. So he is normally, naturally, natively a very suspicious person. However, he is so attuned to um, power dynamics that he accepts nothing at face value. Um, and he has also three positions in Virgo, which makes him a very, very strong um, uh, researcher and the details of everything. So he's not just kind of going on about they, they, they. You know, he, he can document things. So very questing mind, also um, somebody who wants to demonstrate the, um, um, what should I say, drama that surrounds politics and all sorts of things. He, he he understands power and wants to unmask it. And his intent is to wake people up. And he's also a little, you know, keen on having people notice him as well. Of all the ability, I mean, if, if, do you think he's got persuasive abilities based on his chart is he a natural influencer 
you think he's more of an entertainer, more of an influencer? Hmm. I think that he influences through entertainment. I mean, um, if he were to start giving speeches, um, he would people would be drawn to him because he makes it interesting and he communicates very well. So whatever he has to say, people will get the message. Whether the message is, is you know, wake up, <laughs> the government's lying to you, or, or um, life should be a little bit fun. All of those things are, are part of his, um, let's say, equipment. So I, I, I think that they go hand in hand. He's, he's a very um, integrated personality. And when you look at his chart, you yeah. see what he's doing as a profession. Do you see mm-hmm. other aspects of his chart that basically where he could be fulfilling more potential, where there's other areas of his life that he could be focusing on or other uh, fields he could be working in where he could actually have a tremendous amount of success that maybe he hasn't fully utilized? Because he's very successful as an author, very successful as an actor, very successful as a comedian, as a prolific writer. Uh, are there any areas, again, that you see? I don't think he would be that interested in other areas. They wouldn't be fun, and they wouldn't uh, get him the the um, connection with people that he enjoys. Um, I mean, he he is a slight guru um, emphasis in his in his life. Um, but he wouldn't go off to the monastery and get followers and, and, and then come down, you know, from the monastery and give us uh, the religion. Uh, that's not his thing. He, he, he is, um, his success is in communicating uh, a variety of um, different ways to look at power and the structure of power, and also to enjoy himself. He has a a great fire spirit that is contagious, also very intelligent. Could agree with you more. Ms. Constance Stellas, the Astro Phenom. I want to thank you so much for your great analysis of Mr. Richard Belzer. To learn more about Ms. Constance Stellas and to get your own chart reading done with Ms. Constance Stellas, I highly encourage it. Please go to (laughs) ConstanceStellas.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Stellas. My pleasure. My pleasure. Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, psychic empath, Ms. Lisa Kaza. You can learn more about Ms. Lisa Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Ms. Kaza, what can you tell us about Mr. Richard Belzer? Well, I have to be honest and say that I actually, a lot of people are probably going to think I'm real dumb, but I actually didn't know who uh, Richard Belzer was. You see, I don't watch too much TV, <laughs> but you know, so I, you know, had to go into this, you know, basically blinded. Um, but I was very pleasantly surprised as soon as I turned into his energy. I have to say, he's got a very dynamic personality. I mean, I, you know, I see like he's a, a writer, actor, comedian, musician. <laughs> excuse me, and just as importantly, a truth seeker. So what I have to say there, you know, I find it very interesting. We seem to get a lot of truth seekers on our show. So he's definitely fits fits right fits right into to the Olet family. Um, the, the one thing I, I picked up was his in numerology. Well, I didn't pick it up. It is no brainer. Is his life path number, 
and it's he's got a life path of three. And so, you know, when you have a, a life path of three, um, you know, some of the, the personality traits are, you know, for example, it has a tendency to live for today and, you know, has a rather practical view of the future. Uh, for example, if he sees problems on the horizon, well, he's, he'd be too busy working out solutions in order to even bother worrying about the actual problems. He just, he, he really applies himself and his wisdom and his drive to get, to basically get things done. And, uh, along with that, you know, another, uh, trait of a life path of three is indeed creativity and superior communication skills are definitely the main strong suit. Uh, so a true innovator in areas of writing, acting, and public speaking. Um, another thing I picked up here was, well, looking at his date of birth, I noticed there's a lot of fours in his birth date. And, you know, sometimes numbers speak to me, sometimes they don't. In this case, they did. Because when I consider the energetic vibration of the number four, it actually tells us even more about Mr. Belzer. Um, he's full of all about justice and patriotism, service, his the patience of Job, um, a lot of devotion and loyalty and passion and drive. And so when I saw that, then the next thing you know, I saw the color of his aura, and it is the most beautiful green aura I've I've seen in quite a while. It is very vibrant, very clean. And aura, people with green auras, you know, they're connected to healing. You know, you see a lot of healers, teachers, and, and people who work for uh, the good of the public. They tend to have a green aura. Um, it's, you know, a comfortable color of nature. Of course, loves people and, and animals. And one thing I notice is that quite often, whenever you see the color green, um, it could signify something that leads to change or, or to try to implement change. So with that said, that kind of connects us to the concept of him being a truth seeker and getting the truth out there about uh, certain ideas that, that, are, that, are, that are out there. You know, they, people call them conspiracy theories, but they're not conspiracy at all. It, it's, it's actual truth. Um, so I, I find it very interesting. All that I saw here so far is connected. It's like a domino effect. And the, the other thing I see, there are two other things I saw. Um, one is that he had, apparently he had a rather difficult childhood uh, growing up. And I'm not exactly sure like uh, what this means, but I'm just hearing that as a result of, of what he went through, <coughs> excuse me, as a child, his experiences, he actually learned to use comedy or laughter to quell, for example, anger and other negative emotions. Um, well, as the saying goes, laughter is the best medicine, and he figured that out relatively early. And so he, you know, he's implemented that in a lot of his work too, whether it's, well, obviously being a comedian or actor, but also the truth seeker as well. Um, and uh, another thing I was told that he was actually one of the earlier star persons to arrive here on, on Earth, one of the earlier ones.
He's been there for a long time. And did you sense anything about his previous lifetime? Anything about his past evolutions? I wasn't really shown too much of that. Um, it's, <clears throat> pardon me, now, one thing that I, I keep getting hung up on is the fact that, or not a fact, but it, it just I, I see him as being one of the earlier star persons to arrive here. And I think that the reason why I wasn't really being shown too much is because I don't think he had that many lifetimes here on Earth. I feel that it's been more out there in, in space kind of thing, because I'm not seeing any real, like, other earthly incarnations if there were then it was extremely early because i do pick up something about um decoding i hear the word decoding but i don't even know what that means or at what time period it had to have been very early on i'm figuring time of uh the the pyramids in egypt that's the, the sense that i'm starting to get right now but other than that um i see his spirit as you know basically hanging out in other realms, um, and actually, you know, whenever he he passed, like let's say from um, that one incarnation, I do kind of somewhat sense that in Egypt, it, I'm being told that his spirit basically hung around um, on the higher planes of existence for quite some time, watching, observing, um, that kind of thing, and it, it's like his spirit felt that it wasn't time for him yet to incarnate here until he did until this this time here this lifetime that's that's what i'm picking up miss lisa casa clairvoyant cowgirl psychic at that thank you so much for your great analysis mr richard belzer to learn more about miss lisa casa and to get your own psychic reading with miss lisa casa please go to our website at lisacaza.com thank you so much miss casa as always thanks for having me ryan Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Minute Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our amazing guest, Mr. Richard Belzer, for being with us. Oh, it's so cool. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Caza, and Miss Constance Tellus. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Minute Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com. Hello, this is Ryan, host and executive producer of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Here today to tell you about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, psychic medium, psychic empath, Lisa Kaza. And Astro Phenom Constance Stellis. All three of these individuals are powerful metaphysical seers, teachers. I love talking to them, and I think you should talk to them as well. Psychic medium Carrie O'Connor, which you can find her at CarrieO'Connor.com, will provide a lot of insight on your life. She visually sees spirits. She can tell you all kinds of great information, facilitate communication with your loved ones. Awesome. Check her out, CarrieO'Connor.com. Then you've got the Astro Phenom, Miss Constance Stellis. 
You lay out your birthday, she'll tell you about where your chart is, where you're headed to, some of the things you can predict, whether or not you're in astrological compatibility with that uh, Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful you're currently dating. See if that can happen. Learn about, more about Miss Constancellas by going to her website at constancellas.com. And then, of course, we have psychic empath Miss Lisa Kaza at lisakaza.com. Lisa Kaza is so amazing. She's direct, straightforward, going to give you the straight, honest truth. She provides a tremendous amount of insight into where you're going and where you're, some of your biggest decisions. Lisa is very unique, hard-hitting, powerful. Lisa Kaza, Constancellas, Carrie O'Connor. All virtues that you can hear on a regular basis on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. I've talked to 75 psychic beings or more plus in my life. I think these three individuals stand out. They are amazing. I love them to death. Be sure to contact them and learn more about all of them by going to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com.